Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Joe Zappa, the founder and CEO of Sharp Pen Media, who produce premium content for public companies, high-growth startups and agencies. So this week, we're talking about high-quality content. What is it and how do we do it? Thanks for downloading. We keep getting told quality is king or make sure your content is high quality. But what does this really mean? Uh, This week, we're going to be talking content with Joe Zappa, the founder and CEO of Sharp Pen Media, who produce premium content for public companies, high growth startups, agencies and that. Uh, Joe kind of helps us understand what high quality content really means. It's not just about the length or the writing. And we talk a fair bit about targeting and storytelling. It's a great chat. I learned a lot. Uh, Don't forget to connect with Joe on LinkedIn or the Sharp Pen Media website. There's links in the show notes, so give him a quick tap. Uh, Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? Love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media. Subscribe via your favourite podcast app. You can find more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Joe was to kind of explain what the most important elements of high quality content are? I think the most important thing when creating high quality content actually comes before you start writing the content. Yeah, I think that's where most companies, especially in my industry, which is B2B tech, uh, go wrong is that they just want to start pumping out content because they think, okay, well, we need to reach people, which is true. And by creating the content, we'll be able to reach people. But the problem is that the vast majority of marketing content is not differentiated and is contributing basically nothing novel to the Mm. conversation. So that's why, like I've heard you say before on the pod, we go on LinkedIn and we just see an endless stream of uninteresting and unoriginal posts. And we're like, well, this is surely not worth my attention. Like whatever this company paid for this or the time they spent on it, that's not making me want to engage with them or do business with them. So I think the most important thing is that before you start doing content or if you've been doing content and you don't think it's super differentiated, take the time to step back and figure out how are we actually going to create narratives that differentiate us from all of our competitors? And then how is that going to inform content across platforms where we can reach our people? Yeah, because most of what I see is is pretty rubbish. I, I was on LinkedIn first thing this morning. I don't know why I go there. I, I, I really don't. But I mean, I saw another monkey climbing out of a sewer type video and, and it's like you, you know and it, yeah. i think it was a cat this time and it's like a whole load of people filming this cat trying to climb out of a sewer and i'm thinking to myself just just pick the cat up and get it but it's like <laughs> describing this as like this is the struggle that every business has every day and oh to, my God, trying yeah. to oh man and it's just like i don't know why i keep going there but the, why why do we keep why do we keep copying other people's stuff instead of coming up with our own stuff? Yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great question. I think the answer is that narrative differentiation is the hardest part. Mm. And it's, it's the hardest part, not only in that it's intellectually challenging to figure out what do you have to say about what you do that none of your competitors do and that is novel and useful for your customers, uh, but it's also critically very hard from a budgetary perspective because 
no one, especially in the current economy, wants to pay for the strategic work, right? Like everyone, again, like I say this as someone who's, you know, talked with so many CEOs, VPs of marketing, et cetera, about these programs. And there's always a bit of resistance to what if we spent just one month stepping back and figuring out what are all of our competitors saying? What do our customers think about us? What do we want them to think about us? And what are the messages that we're going to distribute in this content to get our perception of our customers, uh, get our customers' perception of us where we want it to be and to differentiate ourselves from our competitors in a way that accentuates our strengths? That's very hard Like, I think that process of narrative differentiation Mm. probably requires bringing in a pretty high level person, Mm. like a journalist in your industry or a marketing executive in your industry, someone who knows the space and the company super well. And then that person's going to have to interview like the marketing leaders, the business leaders, Mm. customers, and figure out how to differentiate you. And that's, that's just really, it's intellectually challenging work and it does take a month and a bit of money and i think people need to be sold on the importance of doing that which is no small feat yeah do you think there's too many salespeople in charge of the budget sometimes like like there's no direct correlation between writing a piece of content and generating a lead if you have an advert and i post an advert somebody fills in a form they give me a lead i've got a lead and i can sell something but the, the content is it's it is more hit and miss, isn't it? I think that's a great question because that is a part of where the challenges lie. So when you're trying to sell a significant marketing investment, whether it's internally or you're hiring an agency, uh, you're not just going to go through the VP of marketing or mm. the CMO. You you probably are going to go through the CRO or the CEO, or even if you're doing something really big, you might even have to go through the board. Like sometimes I talk to CEOs and then they're like, I got to go back and talk to the board about this. So I think you need to find a way to pair what I view as the two halves of marketing strategy. So one is that story. It's the narrative differentiation, but two, and this is where the sales leaders get on board to your question is the go to market. Mm. Like, the, yes, we have to differentiate ourselves on a narrative basis. We need to be saying something that none of our competitors are in a way that resonates with our customers. But two, we need to figure out how we're going to distribute that message. Uh, what are the KPIs? How is it going to ladder up to revenue goals? Because if it doesn't, you're never going to be able to sell the sales leader and the business leader on that marketing investment. Yeah, writers have always struggled as well, haven't they, forever? I mean, like, you know, you always hear the woe and angst of a writer, of a journalist, of somebody like that, that, that nobody takes them seriously, nobody understands right. my work. And and it is true, isn't it? It is absolutely true, like just what you've said, that it is difficult to get people to hire a, a proper journalist who will do some research. Yes, it is. But that's why I think that you have to pair... If you think about those two halves Mm. of marketing strategy, the narrative differentiation and the go-to-market, you have to pair the person with the journalistic type skill set, which is my background. I was a journalist for years before I started an agency, uh, with someone who understands the more distribution, quantitative-oriented side of things. Because I wish that we could sell 
uh, CROs and CEOs on the importance of narrative differentiation um, without, you know, that other element of it. Like that would be that would be simpler for me as that kind of person. But you can't, right? Because mm. ultimately we are doing this in the service of businesses and businesses have budgets and revenue goals and all of that. And you need to be able to tell the story of how that narrative differentiation uh, drives business results. Yeah. Yeah. It is is kind of the targeting and the usefulness of the content that is is do you think that is more important than the quality of the writing itself in some some way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both are very important. I don't think I think the way I would put it is you can't do high quality writing even if you have the most talented writer imaginable yeah. if you don't have the targeting figured out first. Yeah. So Right. So I think, again, that that's where so many companies go wrong is that they go out and spend, you know, 10 to 15 K a month on a PR agency or something like that. And the PR agency goes out and they do they create all this content and they are emailing reporters and getting stories. And like Mm. tactically, it all seems great. But the company never figured out in the first place what is the story and does the story actually resonate with our customers? Because if you don't have a story tied to a differentiated product, then you can be featured in all of your industry trade publications and everyone mm. can be having touches with you, which is what we think builds awareness. Yeah. But you're creating awareness around something that isn't differentiated and doesn't resonate with your customers. So where's yeah. the value in that? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm I'm kind of thinking to myself in my head, there's like if you if you pick a book or a novel or something, there's some novels that I don't know. I'm thinking of that. What's that guy's name? Patterson or something. who seems to write about fifty books mm-hmm. a year or something. You, you could get one of his books, and and like it's not the greatest writing. It's not Dicking. It's not Tolstoy mm. or something, right? But it's a great read in two hundred pages, right? Right. I, I mean, is this the same with our content? Can we can we get away with being maybe a little bit not quite brilliant with our writing, but still? be useful yeah i think so i mean i think that so i love that analogy it makes me think of like ya novels like Mm. if you think about like when i was a kid like twilight was a huge thing right and it's like not known for stupendous writing but it obviously really connected with its target audience which was mostly teenage girls um and so you know it performs extraordinarily well yeah i think the same i think you're exactly right the same is probably true of um, marketing content in that if you had to choose between really well-written content that isn't saying something super novel and doesn't differentiate the company in a way that connects with the audience and content that does do the latter, that is differentiated and resonant, but isn't super well written, surely you would take the latter because mm-hmm. you like there are also ways of creating content that is just so useful and yeah. interesting to your target audience that it just doesn't really it doesn't even matter so much how it's written. And I'm saying that as like a lifelong writer. Like I was listening to the CMO of uh, Gong talk about their marketing and he took their marketing team from one to 60 people. And he was talking about how they, they have a revenue intelligence platform. So they would use uh, data that they got from analyzing sales calls. And people were just so fascinated by the data that the content 
like almost sold itself, you know, yeah. because people were fascinated by this idea of like they could tell readers like, oh, if you do these seven things, you know, you're 60% more likely to close a deal or whatever. And if yeah. you can, if you can provide people that kind of information that really helps them do their jobs that much better, you could basically just provide the data points and they're going to go to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned storytelling quite a bit. Can you give a kind of like a little bit of an example, a quick example of what you mean by by storytelling with a piece of content? Yeah, for sure. So uh, one of my collaborators was Paul Connecton. He was the CMO of uh, Beeswax, uh, hmm. which was a demand side platform. So it was a media buying platform. Yeah. Um, and beeswax's big thing was they were getting uh they had a very well-known founder ari paparo who's the thought leader in our industry which is ad tech yeah. and they were getting all of these brands in the door who needed to do huge media buys and they were like can you help me with this and they were having trouble closing deals yeah. um and what they eventually realized was that there was a very specific type of brand uh who performed uh, well with them who loved their platform. And those were what they ended up calling like data nerds or control freaks. Yeah. Um, and so control freak is a great story. Like we are the, we are the DSP, the demand side platform, the media yeah. buying platform for control freaks. It's a great story because it's, it's polarizing, right? Like uh, the majority of brands who see that uh, messaging are actually going to say, this probably isn't for me, right? Because sure. most people actually don't want to think of themselves as control freaks. Yeah. So what they did by, by listening to their customers and understanding for which customers their product was actually working, they were able to develop a story that then resonated very deeply with the target customers, with the prospects who were actually the best fit for their platform and you know in 12 to 18 months of paul being there they were able to more than double revenue and they end up having a very big exit to comcast so i think that's an example of doing the research mm. to understand you know there are dozens maybe even hundreds of demand side platforms out there so you have to figure out uh what is the very specific thing that actually uh, differentiates us and then how can we create a narrative around that that is then going to inform all of our content you know ads yeah, yeah. own content earn content and so on i suppose you're, tr you're trying deliberately not to be everything to everybody right exactly it's that core principle of yeah. marketing right which is like you you know you think the when entrepreneurs start out i know this myself being one you're like, you want to say, I do content and I do content for everyone because yeah, then you have yeah. more targets. Yeah. But you learn over time that actually going, it's very hard then because you're competing with everyone. Whereas, of yeah. course, you want to be the ideal solution for a very small set of customers. Yeah, well, years ago when I worked in radio, somebody somebody told me when I first started to, to kind of like picture your picture a, an ideal listener of your radio program in your head and, and talk to them. And that's a little bit like like trying to figure out a persona or something. Do you do that type of thing? Do you work? Do you do you look at personas? Do you look at behavior and kind of like almost like to build an avatar? 
Yeah, exactly. I think part of what we tend to do as uh, as a part of the narrative differentiation exercise is we do a messaging matrix where we think about uh, who are who are your various personas. You know, there might be two or three or whatever, and then how does the story, uh, what version of the story resonates most with them, right? So you have a core story, um, which might be, you know, we're the media buying platform for control freaks. And then you figure out, okay, if we're selling to a, you know, VP of marketing, what does that look like? If we're selling to a CEO, what does that look like? And so on. So do you write different content for different avatars and personas? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think sometimes your the the content the message you want to amplify with your content for a ceo might even go so far as to insult a vp of marketing right like it depends on what you're selling and all that but you i i've had that experience too in marketing companies and marketing my own company where it's like if you mess that up, like if you go to all of your personas with the same message, you might get a like hell yes reaction from one persona and you might get like a violent response from another persona. (laughs) So I do think it's important to have that understanding of what is the core story, but then what are the sort of iterations of that story for each persona? And then that's going to inform all the content you create. Yeah. Um, so, so does that content have to be long and in depth to be high quality? Because I mean, I, you know, a lot of folks seem to think, you know, a thousand, two thousand words. You know, you, mm-hmm. that mean that means it's good quality. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, you know, you were in radio. I was a print uh, mm. or a, you know written journalist, but. So I think the one of the principles of journalism applies here, right? Which like most good journalists, they'll agree. How long does, you know, the radio program or the article need to be? However yeah. long it has to be to tell the story, right? You wouldn't be like, this has to be 1500 words. It's like, sometimes it'll be 500, sometimes it'll be 2000. Um, and so I think the same applies to marketing, that it's a question of uh, how long does it need to be to tell the story you want to tell? But then also, crucially, where are we putting it? Hmm. Because... Uh, obviously to use an extreme example, right? Like Twitter, it's probably not going to be as long as, you know, your blog and that'll differ from a newsletter and a white paper. Like people know when they sign up for something, like if they download a white paper, if they're showing that intent, they're showing intent for a longer form asset. Like they know what they're getting themselves into. Right. Hmm. But if you're, if you're trying to write 3,500 words on LinkedIn, it could be successful, but there's you're, there's probably a bit of a misalignment there between what the audience wants and what you're delivering. So I think it's that combo of how long does the story need to be and then where's the, what's the channel where we're distributing it. Yeah, so do you kind of like set the copy length, particularly for like things like blog posts where you could go on forever if you wanted to? Do you set the copy length beforehand? No. I mean, I uh, we often have a sort of word range where we say with the client and the writer and everyone, we expect it to be of about this length. Mm. But I think ultimately you do need to follow the story and sort of see where you land because it really could be that the best possible blog post on the topic is 500 words. And it could be that the best one is 1800 words. And I think you do need to sort of write it to find out. Yeah. Is there a sweet spot? I, I mean, the average blog post we write is going to be like 800 to 1,000 words. And I think right. there are some 
there are some formats like we do a lot of thought leadership bylines where we're yeah. ghostwriting for the C-suite. And those, I always say, like unless the publication you're targeting has different uh, parameters, go for like 800 words just because that tends to be a sweet spot for that yeah. format. Ah, cool. Yeah, that'll scare the life out of a lot of marketers, you know, like well, 800 words. It's like, can, can I do 300, please? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah i always had the opposite problem as a writer i am verbose but yeah. you know everyone yeah. has different uh inclinations yeah so so i suppose i suppose that when you've got all your really high quality content and it's all absolutely beautiful and wonderful you've got to kind of try and measure the success of it somehow haven't you how do you how do you kind of go about that yeah so i think it's a this is a never ending conversation mm. that I have with CEOs, CMOs, and so on. So I don't think there's a definitive uh, right answer. So I'm giving, I'm starting with the usual marketing disclaimer of it depends, which annoys yeah. everyone quite yeah. a bit. Um, I do think that ultimately for a marketing program, what the board and the CEO are going to care about. And so to your point about sales leaders and mm. their involvement and like whether this is going to get cut or not, I do think you have to be able to show how the mar all the marketing activities you're doing are influencing sales opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I think there needs to be an understanding of like, where are the sales opportunities and are they increasing with this activity over time with the understanding that certain things take a little while. Um, right. So if you're, mm. if you're doing SEO, right, it might take six months to start mm. seeing meaningful improvements. If you're, you know, creating organic content on LinkedIn, um, it might see a, take a while to see that like demand gen activity uh, result in uh, sales opportunity differences. But there are usually leading indicators that can tell you whether you're on the right track. And so like, let's say you're doing uh, a lot of link organic LinkedIn content. Should the ultimate arbiter of its quality and impact be something like what people sometimes call vanity metrics, like likes or comments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think that should be the ultimate arbiter. Is it a leading indicator that uh, if you're getting attention from your target audience that you might be onto something? Yes, I think that's very much true. So I think it's a matter of figuring out what are the accessible indicators that are going to give us a sense in one to two months if we're picking up some traction with this. And then are we able to tell a story as a marketing team to the CRO or CEO um, about how this is guiding people down the funnel and translating into business impact? Because ultimately they will care about that one thing, which yeah. is how does this tie to revenue or sales opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you measure content long term? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the... I mean, it's, it's kind of like looking at the life expectancy of it, really, isn't it? I mean, how long do you measure? Do, I mean, are you still measuring content that you wrote two or three years ago? Yeah, I think uh, great like data-oriented marketers do do that, especially mm. with owned content. So like, I think LinkedIn content, right, it tends to disappear yeah, after yeah, you know yeah. a month or whatever. Yeah. But... 
but you should still see the long-term impact of social content in that you have that growing audience, right? So yeah. if you reach someone, you're maybe not, you're not going to keep analyzing a post from a month ago, probably, but you will see those people come back. So you should see a cumulative effect. And then with owned content, that's very relevant because uh, often the biggest wins to be had with say like an SEO content program mm. are not even in creating new content. It's in taking content that performed two years ago and updating it. Cause you can have something that ranks on the first page of Google and then two years go by and it's fallen off. You can see that and then refresh it and often get it back there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think yeah. attention to the long term is important. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of folk, particularly with own content. I see, I see a lot of folk kind of like they'll write something, they'll publish it, they'll measure it for a month, and and they'll realise it's not doing anything. So they'll do something else and try again, and they'll keep right. trying again and trying again and trying again. Whereas that piece of content might not actually succeed for six months or eight months. Yeah, well, and then there's just the fact that. So much of the value of content marketing lies in distribution and yeah. redistribution. Yeah. So like if you like I I am pretty confident that the majority of uh, white papers in B2B marketing, you know, they get they have a campaign where it's like you you go and you spend five to 10K to create and design this white paper yeah. and then you distribute it a bit. Yeah. And then you just forget about it. And then it like sits on your website and once in a while someone finds it and downloads it. But it's like if you spent, you know, five to 10K on that asset and you think it's really valuable and you are getting some traction, like distribute the heck out of it in perpetuity, yeah. you know, yeah. until it, you start seeing that it's not working anymore and maybe you need to update it. Yeah. Do you publish dates when you publish articles and things? Do you publish the date of when it's been published? Because I've stopped doing that a lot because I've found like a lot of folks, as soon as they realize it's like six months, written six months ago, oh, it's, right. old. it's out of date. It's old. That's really interesting. I've seen some debate about that in the mm. SEO space um, where people are talking about should you publish the date or not? And like, should Google consider mm. the the date as a, as a relevance factor? Yeah. Um I, we, we usually leave that up to our clients. Mm. Um, like, and I think different content management systems probably just have different norms, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I absolutely take your point that, um, with marketing, it's often with marketing content, it's often not how recent it is that determines how insightful it is, yeah. you know, and things that even if you have to update it a little bit, like maybe every yeah. like year you go and add some fresh stats and whatever the core insights, like if I like this, the podcast you do, like they should be relevant, you know, two yes. or three or five years later. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I, I find that if I throw somebody a podcast from 2020, that that's like still very relevant now, it's like, oh, it's old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's old. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm uh, well, I'm from, you know, I did a PhD and we would use things that were, you know, 50 or 100 yeah. years old. So yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very much in line <laughs> with the thinking that, you know, it doesn't need to be from last year to be relevant. Absolutely. It doesn't need to be new and shiny all the time. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Joe, it's fascinating. I could chat for ages about this. Um, where can we find you? Where can we find Sharp Pen Media, which I think is a great name, by the way. I love that. Thank you very much. The best place is podcast.sharppenmedia.com. 
Uh, or you can, of course, find me and reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just search LinkedIn Joe Zappa and you should find me very quickly. Fantastic. I'll leave some links in the show notes and folks can um, tap on tap on those. Um, Joe, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be on. Thanks again to Joe for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. And uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon. It's everywhere. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.